Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, Rachel Watson is joining me for part two of her interview. And today we are diving into how you can cope if you find yourself in the family courts facing false parental alienation accusations. The trauma caused by family courts over alienation and other kind of domestic abuse cases. So, yeah, it is a, a global issue for sure. So what can people do then if they find themselves in that position? There are things they can do. Um, Initially, they're going to feel a very strong sense of injustice at what the abuser and the industry supporting the abuser is doing to them. But um, staying angry at them only gives them more power. So it's important those who are experiencing abuse and injustice try to learn how not to react to their attacks, but how to respond to them strategically, um, which is not an easy thing to do. And as you said, it's counterintuitive, but it is absolutely necessary to, um, if they want to get a good outcome in court. So sometimes no response is the best response. And, and that can be really hard because victims can feel like that's giving in and letting their abuser or the court reporter get away with their behavior. But eventually um, victims realize that they're protecting themselves by taking this approach and strengthening their position for court. So for example, every single time um, she needs to reply to a WhatsApp with the abuser or go on the witness stand or write an email that the court's probably going to see or dispute something in court. Every time she can stop and uh, breathe and say to herself, what does the judge want to see from me? What's the best way for me to show that? Am I coming across as kind, reasonable and child focused? And generally speaking, that's what judges want to see. And they also want to have positive solutions suggested to them. So if victims can do that, then they're halfway there and judges will soften and turn when victims use this approach. I've got a blog on my website called How to Resist and Reject the Notorious Parental Alienation Experts Assessments and Reports. And the feedback from women who've implemented it in their case has been amazing. Um, Several domestic abuse victims have recently successfully got the judge to instruct their choice of expert using the approach in that blog post. And yeah, and, and these women were told by their own lawyers that the judge will never agree to another expert. And that's simply not true. Sometimes a lawyer needs to be guided towards the credible research too, so that um, they can help educate the judge 
from inside the system. So recognizing how you approach situations of injustice and how you respond to them in a manner that's to your advantage and not to the abuser's advantage is very important. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I, I do have a bit of a personal bugbear with having to educate lawyers who charge you and claim to be experts in exactly this, which is why you're going to them. But then you have to lead them to the research and the understanding and your blog posts and, and you know yeah. the other information because they don't know it. How, how, how is that possible? I know it's it's shocking, but it's so great to hear the feedback from the mothers because it, it makes them feel really good. It's, it brings something good out of their case when they've successfully managed to just do a little something to improve their situation. And they don't realise that that will have an impact on the next victim that walks into that courtroom and stands before that judge because that's in his head already, his or her her head so yeah it's really important another thing victims can do is learn how to present evidence to the court in a manner that shows how the child is suffering from it all um, because when you focus on the impact on the child's well-being you get the attention of the judge whereas if you walk into court and label your abuser in court and they say he's a narcissist or he's this or he's bipolar or that and then you focus on all the bad things that they've done to you um, which is what your natural um, way to present is but you've got to try and stop yourself from doing that and think what do the courts want to see um, but if, if you do that, if you go in labelling and accusing, then the judge can see it as merely trying to prevent contact, which is unfair, but that's the way it is at the moment. So, You mentioned there about putting in how the child is feeling. Um, in a lot of cases, though, the child's voice is removed from the equation as soon as the parental alienation claim has been made, the accusation has been made, because it is assumed by so-called experts that the voice of the child has been is really the voice of the mother so there's no point listening to the voice of the child so how do you deal with that well you would maybe try to ask the judge if the child could speak to the judge personally and um, there's several different ways where judges can take the views of children and one of them is directly face to face in judges chambers your lawyer might tell you that that's not possible. Ask, <laughs> because it is possible. Um, the lawyers are not always giving the best advice to their clients. Some are, and if you find one that is, hold on to them and send their name to, to other victims. Um, but generally speaking, you're not getting that advice from your lawyer. Um, and that's where representing yourself can sometimes just have that advantage because and it's not the right thing to do in, in all cases, but it, it it allows you to have that personal connection with the judge and ask questions like that. Can my child speak to you directly? Because maybe you've had a bad experience with a court reporter and the next time the child wants to give their views, um, you say uh, they'd like to speak to you directly, my Lord, and you'll be very surprised that, you know, judges are human and, and they do um, respond to the right approach. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's 
Victims of abuse shouldn't have to fight so hard to protect their child from harm or to stop a criminal perpetrator destroying their entire lives. Um, it's also wrong that we have to do this or that we have to, you know, talk about how to teach victims to do this. It's so wrong, but that's the way the, situa the situation is at the moment. So it's, it's helpful just to learn that um, you've got no power over the, the way they treat you, the way the abuser treats you or the way the court process treats you. There's nothing you can do about that. So you have to look for what you do have influence over and what you can control. You accept the situation and you focus on the things that you can control, such as your communications with the abuser and your communications with the court. You know, I've, I've spoken about how you can present your case. Um, you can control your thoughts, you can control your mind, you can control your responses, the things you teach your child about life and relationships and boundaries, and, and you can control your own health and well-being, you know. Um, so there are things you can do. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of mindfulness techniques. And what you find is, and, and this isn't for everybody, I know, but what you find is when you sit still for a while and, and silence your mind completely, then solutions can appear when you felt like you're up against a brick wall and there's nothing you can do, just trying it solutions can appear, your energy changes, and things can go in your favor when you least expect it. When you don't try to force the outcome of situations and, and maybe take a step back and let nature take its course, then things can change. Women stuck in, in family court proceedings need to know that there's an end in sight and they will eventually emerge from the storm into the calm. You know, we've we've survived traumatic situations in life. She will survive this too, and she will look back on it one day. But all she can do now is use this difficult time to, to take in as much knowledge as possible to help ease the pressure that she's under. And knowledge helps you approach situations with confidence. And that in turn helps you lose the fear, the fear that's engulfing you when you're in court process. So true. I mean, gosh, I mean, that's incredibly powerful information there to know. And and I, I just think that when you're in that with that fear that you talk about, it can be very debilitating. You know, yeah. I see clients that really are paralyzed by that fear. And, you know, this is when you really need to be strong and dig deep and you know, step up and make those big decisions. And gosh, if you are representing yourself, which as you say, you know, sometimes you're paying lawyers, but they don't know what they're doing either in these specific specialized cases, you know, they should all read your book as compulsory reading, how to annihilate a narcissist in the family court. I think everyone, every family <laughs> lawyer, barrister and judge should have a copy and know it inside out personally. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think, you know, that can be so challenging. So yeah, anything like mindfulness can really help just, just relax you enough to get a little bit of strength back because you do have to keep going for your kids in those situations. You know, it's not about, 
really it's it's about survival so that you can do the right thing for your kids and protect them to the best of your ability even when the entire system may appear to be working against you yeah so Rachel what needs to change are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce are you feeling devastated heartbroken sad and anxious if so please know that you are not alone and there is help available Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control, and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. So, Rachel, what needs to change? The culture, really. The culture of the family courts needs to get addressed. So I would say that openness and transparency would help that. The ideology of the family courts needs to be converted to a place where women and children's human rights get respected. Nice. (laughs) They can be persuaded that abuse is relevant and sometimes unsupervised contact is not in the child's best interests. But when trying to implement change to the system, the same rules apply as when you're trying to present your case against the abuser in court. You know, the family court industry fights back and they're convincing just like the abuser. So once again, you have to um, respond strategically and Governments should really scrutinise the practices of those who offer services to the family courts, the lawyers, the psychologists. Um, judgments should be published. Anyone who breaches their code of conduct, I think, should be held to account for their behaviour and shouldn't be allowed to continue operating in the family court system. Um, children need to be given an opportunity to give the judge their views and no lawyers or court reporters should be allowed to influence those views. And children should also be allowed to participate in the process without fear of consequences for doing so. They need to feel safe when giving their views. I think training for the judiciary on domestic abuse would help too for those who are open to change you know some people they have deep-rooted beliefs and but but many in the system can be persuaded um those making contact and custody decisions need to understand coercive control and spot the red flags that are clear to anyone who does understand it i would say judges need to learn how Patterns of controlling behaviour affect children's physical and emotional health and well-being. The civil court system really needs to catch up 
with the criminal system when it comes to coercive control so that judges can recognise someone who terrorises outside the courtroom but appears an admirable parent inside the courtroom. They need to be able to recognise that incidents um, like degrading, humiliating, uh, choking, bullying, blackmailing, these are not one-offs, you know, but they're not usually one-offs. People who behave in this manner often present a danger to their child if that behaviour is not addressed. So we need to shift the burden of abuse onto the perpetrator and, and hold them accountable for their behaviour. If allegations of domestic abuse are raised and the accused responds with its parental alienation, then look very closely at the behaviour of the person claiming parental alienation look to credible academic research on the concept of parental alienation in domestic abuse cases. Um, I've got links to all of that on my website. Uh, understand how abusers deny their behavior and reverse the victim and offender. Um, you know, learn the perpetrator tactics, remove, remove fear, punishment and threat from the system and, and replace that with trauma-informed approaches, you know, kind approaches, um, ones that respond to uh, victims' trauma. These women and children, they've got so much to offer society if they could only break free from the cycles of abuse and be allowed to heal and move on with their lives. So that's what I think should change. A lot of changes, Rachel. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, amazing. I mean, absolutely. Those things do need to change. And soon, you know, I mean, really soon, because the casualties, you know, from the system, I mean, yeah. from what I see in my clinic, it's just more and more and more and more. And every day, you know, I hear an even more tragic story. And, you know, it is heartbreaking and it's still going you know unaddressed and, and ignored actually in in a lot of cases so what can we do to help if anyone's listening thinking gosh you know something needs to change here i think uh, women who are going through the nightmare are absolutely desperate for support they need solutions they need recommendations of lawyers and psychologists who do recognize coercive control and who do fight on their behalf and get results in court it's almost like we need a, a go-to list for these mothers globally. The courts need to be persuaded that abuse does exist in these cases and that it is harmful to the child. And we can do that from inside the court system as well as from outside, from legislation, just as the mothers who used the blog post did, you know, so we can keep the conversation going and for anyone who's in a position to speak out, please use your voice to help those who are in the system and silenced by the system. People probably don't realize that mothers in the family court system aren't allowed to talk about their cases. And also journalists aren't allowed to generally report in family court matters. It's very limited what they can report. And editors are very, fearful of litigation they they don't report family court because they know it has consequences so if we can continue to raise public awareness of the issues 
then that will help create meaningful change and people can follow and support campaigns such as the court said and just keep the momentum going. Um, one thing that I believe is really important is that victims write to their members of parliament and tell them about their family court experiences um, and the effect that, that the process has had on them and their child. You know, not a an, an, an angry email saying, this has happened to me, this has happened to me. A personal email just explaining to them how painful it was, how traumatic it was, what happened, and, and how your child suffered from that, and, and offer the MP solutions as well. And if they get that type of email, I know that they will pass that lived experience onto the necessary person in government who is in charge for changing legislation surrounding the family court system. I've seen it happen and it's really important politicians hear about lived experiences at any given opportunity. And politicians are pretty accessible nowadays. Um, people can watch out for consultations that the government publish online. For example, in Scotland right now, there's a public consultation on child welfare reporters and solicitors which I'm, I'm very much looking forward to completing and having my say, and I hope others will, will do the same. It's really important to speak out. And I think, again, you know, many of the women and children who've gone through this aren't allowed to speak out, which sort of, again, is potentially one of the big things that needs to change. Because I think if the general public were hearing the stories that you and I hear on a daily basis then they would definitely be shocked and horrified this is actually happening in, you know, not just the UK, around the world today. You know, it, when, you know, it just shouldn't be. It's just barbaric it's, and cruel is a, is a good word that you used earlier. So, Rachel, I mean, gosh, you know your topic inside out and you help so many people. How do people listening find you to find out more? Um, I've got a website, uh, rachelwatsonbooks.com, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter. I do have an Instagram page as well, but uh, I'm probably on Twitter the most. So if you're following me, I often retweet and comment on Rachel's posts. And obviously, Rachel's got a book, How to Annihilate a Narcissist in the Family Court. Highly recommend it to anyone going through that situation. So do get your copy and get that off Amazon. Um, so, Rachel, my final question, which I ask all my guests, obviously, my podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think especially if you're going through this kind of toxic situation, it's important to recognize happiness when it shows up in your life. So what is happiness for you? Happiness to me is when you reach the point in life where you're no longer consumed by fear, fear of an individual fear of any situation that arises in life or fear of what the future holds. So when you break free from fear and meditation helped me to do that and finding time to meditate makes me happy. Well, thank you ever so much for being my guest. You have been inspiring and so much useful and helpful information. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for being my guest. You're welcome. That's it for today's episode. Do head on over to rachelwatsonbooks.com to find out more about Rachel. And I look forward to you joining me 
on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to Sarah's virtual Heartbreak to Happiness retreat. This is a transformative combination of live webinars with Sarah herself, coupled with her empowering online video program designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sarah's gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.